Welcome to It's All Mental, a podcast from Every Turn Mental Health. Mental isn't a bad word. There's no health without mental health. We're here to talk about every high and low. No limits, just good conversations. Hi everyone, my name is Adam Crampsey, Chief Executive at Every Turn Mental Health. We are recording a series of videos this Pride Month to talk about all things LGBTQ+. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Angel, the Chief Exec of the Terence Higgins Trust. The Terence Higgins Trust... You're welcome. The Terence Higgins Trust are the, the 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 largest, UK's largest sexual health and HIV charity. Um, and what a great cause to be talking about during Pride Month. So just before we get into that, though, Richard, I just want to talk through some stats around around mental health and the LGBT plus population. So a study found that half of LGBTQ plus people had experienced depression and three in five had experienced anxiety. And and really, quite worryingly, almost half of trans people have thought about taking their own lives. So I just want to set the tone of our conversation with those quite dreary stats. But before we get into a discussion, I'm going to hand over to you just to introduce you and the organisation. Thank you. So as you said, the Terence Higgins Trust is the largest HIV organisation in the UK. We work across HIV and sexual health and try and focus on those inequalities that blight people's lives. We were the first HIV charity. We were founded because a man called Terry Higgins um, died and was the first first AIDS person to die of an AIDS-related illness. And from that small acorn, a great oak tree has has grown. We now are involved in preventing new cases of HIV and working to end HIV transmissions by 2030. We want to be here till the last person living with HIV needs us. The epidemic will uh, might end uh, in a, few, a small number of years, but people will live with HIV for longer than the virus is transmitted. And we want to support people through that uh, journey of their lives. And crucially, we want to make sure we are the voice of service users in the sexual health system. You know, too often the system gets cut and ebbed away because people no, people don't say, I didn't get my chlamydia treatment or I haven't recently had a test because I can't get an appointment or um, they've run out for the day. So we've got to really add that uh, to the system. I think it's a really important role for us to play. What that means is we are highly culturally competent with LGBT communities. So people living with HIV are proportionately more likely to be um, particularly gay, bisexual, or men who have sex with men than the wider population. Trans communities are many times uh, more likely to experience uh, HIV. And poor sexual health can often blight um, LGBT communities. And we're here to make sure that people can take control of their sexual health um, and live through uh, their lives in the best way uh, possible. But it also means we need to be there for when times are on the downs. uh, And and often we'll work with people um, have mental health uh, related uh, challenges around either their HIV diagnosis or coming to terms with living with HIV or about being at risk of HIV and that wider mental health culture that exists amongst gay men. I think also, also uh, related to this, I think that we can deny the kind of trauma and inherited trauma there is amongst queer people from the AIDS crisis. You know, a virus hit and hit quickly. It spread amongst people um, in the LGBT community and at a time in which we are our most vulnerable and requiring care, support, love and affection, society met us with uh, a cold reality of um, a a judgmental NHS and pushed us out of mainstream society. And it was really, really tough for people. A whole generation of gay men are not with us um, and many live in the wake of that. So I work with people who their friends and colleagues uh, died uh, at the time and aren't with us. 
I'm from a generation just after that, where I know a number of people that passed away that live in that wake of it. So my coming out experience was mainly framed by people being nice about it, being awful about it, or tilting their head and saying, don't die of the sex you're about to enjoy. And then you've got the generation after that have been re-stigmatized on all the apps. You know, first, second message is, are you clean? And re-stigmatizing that relationship. So I think the relationship in queer communities between sex and their mental health is often really interlinked. Just going to delve into that one then. So gone off topic, or gone off script already. I did say we were going to go off our little script. Really. The, you talk about that generational difference there, which is really quite stark. So you know, I'm of the same generation of you, living just after, knowing people. and But actually, what about the generations that are kind of just just coming to their sexual maturity now and and and, and that gen z population is it is it a different set of anxieties and pressures or is it just a cascade through the ages i think it is a combination um of things in truth there is clearly and has been a kind of group that um broadly um uh, are approaching the world in quite heteronormative ways that think that somehow AIDS was our own fault uh, in some way. And I think one of the things that It's a Sin did, the TV programme by Russell T Davis, was it showed how it was done to the community, how people had such little knowledge about this mystery virus at the beginning, how such little help was provided until it started to get uh, too late and at risk, quite frankly, impacting um, heterosexuals. Um, and I think I've seen that, it's quite akin to the trans experience where you've got this sense of it being politicised and highly radicalised when what we're asking for is access to healthcare and people to be in charge of their physical, mental and sexual well-being. And that, that, that link between mental health and sexual health, HIV, you, you as a charity work with people, like you say, across the full spectrum of support and you run counselling services for people. What sort of things are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are people saying? Well, I, I'm not in the counselling sessions um, my, myself, but it comes across quite strongly. So I think some of that inherited trauma is something particularly those generations who've lived with HIV for a long time are starting to be able to unpack and deal with. You've, we see people coming forward who have got um, how their mental health interacts with sex, so sex being linked to their well-being, mm -hmm. um, and then how that takes some people down a journey of what we call chemsex um, and people kind of H and H, high and horny sessions, uh, etc., and how it interplays um, with sex. So that's coming through quite strongly, and we have uh, group work and individual counselling for people who've experienced chemsex and are wishing to um, get control of their lives and potentially exit uh, those behaviours. So that's a, a big part of it going forward. But also, I think there's a kind of hangover from expectations about what relationships may or may not be like, and that that clearly having an interplay with their mental health and others feel the external pressure of a group of people who are trying to radicalize uh, trans people and their lives and um and making out that the fight for their justice is somehow um a, a kind of a front to wider society and people leading that through the system and that 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 the fight against the trans population which is just one of the it's one of those it makes me very mad let's be really honest because you know you look at those statistics that almost half of trans people have tried to take their own lives and then you look at the 
everything in the media and what's been whipped up and the rhetoric and everything that comes from pol politicians and from everywhere around, the pressure is huge on those people whilst going through a really challenging time in their lives who've got a high propensity towards sexual health when it comes to things like HIV and, uh, and sexual health. There's a lot stacked against the trans community at the moment, isn't there? I think there are. However, I remain an optimist. You know, we Good. <laughs> have had some changes to the gender recognition uh, rules to make it slightly easier and cheaper uh, for people to do. There's lots more to do, but I think there has been some step forward. Obviously, Scotland saw the shape of what a bill might look like. It regrettably didn't make it uh, into law. But we have seen now in a UK context what um, equality might look like. Um, and I think that in itself, it moving from the theoretical to um, the practical is a really important uh, journey forward. But also you're seeing people, I think, rally around the trans community in a really positive way. And we've had trans women on the front of Vogue and in cultural places in a, in a way that's really positive. So I'm not downplaying the lived experience of trans people. We have staff who communicate that when the um, environment feels very hostile, that leaving their home and their proximity to where they might use a toilet um, is all things they have to take into consideration, as well as their personal uh, well-being and literal safety. Um, because not only do trans people regrettably think about their own, um, you know, taking their own life, they know they're at risk of other people intervening in a way that means that uh, they might be beaten up and, or, or worse, and that is um, tragic. So these are all things that people are having to contemplate with. But I suppose what I think is change is coming, and I think equality will win the day. When is the bit that is... Um, the big question and for us it will never be soon enough so making the the road to progress i think is a vital one and if we keep focus on what we are here to do and why we're here to do it i think we can make that progress that's a, a good segue then into the next question i've got which is around the fact we're having this conversation for pride month which is celebrated across june every year and 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 that march towards equality and equality coming not fast enough but definitely coming coming closer why is pride so important why, why is it important to you why is it important to our community would you say i think pride is absolutely vital at showing um we're here we're queer we're fabulous we're diverse um and that we've got nothing to be ashamed of i think that's what it does at its absolute um core and i think that really matters it's um I always call it Gay Christmas. It's that opportunity to get with friends and I thought, family. That, was I thought that was Eurovision Gay Christmas. Is this not Gay uh, Boxing Day? Oh, I, I think I think the gays have a few Christmas. Okay, fine. And um, uh, but I think it's important to have that outright celebration and expression, and an opportunity to reflect on how far we've come, and to be demanding yet again of the society we want to see going forward. And I think it does all three of those things really, really well. Um, so. For me, I kind of every time I go, I remember be, going for the first time. And for those who've seen the film Pride that immortalises lesbian gays to support the minors, there's the character Bromley that kind of is um, meek and mild, goes along and just like hopes to be uh, in the crowd and gets, gets dragged in to hold a banner uh, and starts marching, gets brought into this organisation that ultimately changes history. And I think we're all that gay kid at some point that's a bit unsure of their place, wants to go, wants to be part of it, and is actually looking for somebody to drag, drag us in off the street and they hold this banner, grab this bucket or whatever we're doing uh, to make that happen. And that was definitely me 
um, at one point. Um, I've been on pretty much every march um, since I first went as a 19 year old and um, at least go to one big pride event um, a year. And I think it's just a really important as a kind of humbling reminder that everyone's at a different part of that journey. You'll often get queer people who had a terrible coming out that want other people's to be equally as terrible or, or want it to be completely different. And some people are so assured in their uh, queer love and their queer life that they forget that other people are struggling on the margins of being in and out the closet, of being in and out the relationship status they might be in, um, of just coming to terms with it themselves uh, and loving themselves before they can uh, love somebody else. And I think Pride is that opportunity every year where we cast the net wide and say, you're all welcome. Come and be gay this week. Just and be gay like, with us. Yeah, exactly. Come and enjoy it. Back, so back to, back to all things mental health. If you don't mind me asking, because I ask this whenever I'm having a conversation with people about your mental health and what you do to maintain positive mental health or not, as it, which is the case maybe sometimes. But what, how, what are your things that you do to balance yourself? Um, I talk a lot, basically. Generally, if I'm having a bad day, I'll tell people I'm having a bad day um, and can verbalise, I think, some of those things. I, I feel very lucky about that. I was taught for a, a learn, long, uh, from an early age um, that, um, you know, uh, to share a problem is a problem halved and all, all that stuff. It doesn't work for everybody and I'm not suggesting, um, uh, but I feel very lucky. Um, to, to have um, to have that and are able to kind of verbalize those things um, I think quite early on in that experience I've had very stressful moments in my past and I think I'm able to identify stress in myself early now and kind of walk back from those uh, moments so that uh, uh, that helps uh, going forward um, and I'm very lucky that I'm an optimist and I think that means that um, my mental health starts from a topped up position and you know not everyone in my life has that and not all the people I care about and certainly not all those in the opportunity to start from that place but I, I feel very lucky and very privileged that um, I um, the component parts of my mental health are ones that lead to uh, positivity and optimism and uh, and so I think that has given me a level of resilience um, uh, but I, 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 I work with and know and love people who have a very different relationship with their mental health that 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 talking piece i think is one of the most important things isn't it i think we too, too often people don't verbalize how they're feeling for fear of or fear of anything really isn't it for for how people will, will judge them and what how people perceive them but actually talking that first conversation is often the hardest though isn't it and, exactly. and having that first that break breaking the barrier of that conversation and so with regards to your organization and, and, and the terence higgins trust how do people access help? So if you know if, if if someone's newly diagnosed with HIV or is 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 indeed living with HIV and need need help, how would they go about getting it? So we have a myriad of ways in and a, lots of different types of support for people. So we work with a number of HIV organisations to put on newly diagnosed courses and um, throughout the year, every year, so that we have a wide funnel for those who are newly diagnosed to come in. Uh, to, to work with us so they don't have to know the name of our organisations but they can come in through different means um, and start accessing uh, that support. Uh, they then can go on a journey in all different ways uh, and forms and somebody might go to these individual points uh, for our website or, or other means that we promote but we do individual one-to-one -one counselling, we do group um, work with people, we do peer support led groups um, and then we have projects that people can involved in that might be about returning to work or it might be about 
um, uh, skills or um, um, stuff in, in that direction. So there's there's a different series of ways that people can be involved if it's linked to their mental health. We then, in addition, have a program around those who are experiencing or have experienced chemsex and um, either wish to get control of their um, their sexual habits and their, their drug use or, or wish to be um, free from it completely. So um, we have a, a variety of ways. Um, our website is um, hopefully um, really good at helping people access those services. And we've just done a new, very user um, focused um, counselling service uh, web product um, that will help people on that journey, I think, in, in a much more streamlined um, way. And we had users directly involved in planning uh, that product. Fantastic. Now, I always like to end conversations with hope because it's too easy to focus on the, the things that are not full of hope. So what's your what's your message of hope to the LGBTQ plus community, either around mental health or sexual health or HIV? What's your what's your pearl of wisdom for hope? I actually think there's lots of signs uh, of hope. We've got a great LGBT sector of organisations that are working together like never before to bring about whether it's better rights, better services or better support uh, across the society. So I think that's in a really good place. What I get out of bed for every day and I'm very lucky to work on is that it is now scientifically possible to end new cases of HIV by 2030. We could not only do that, we could be the first country in the world to do it. And we could end the onward transmission of this virus without a vaccine and without a cure. And doesn't mean we don't want a vaccine and a cure and they can be very important for the global struggle. But we have all the tools here and now. And because we have the wonderful NHS that underpins it all, we could be, make that happen. And like I said, we could be the first country that does it. And I think the opportunity to play the part, to be the generation that ends the transmission uh, and the kind of active part of the epidemic is one we can't miss. And if that isn't something that can give people hope, that you can go and have future sexual relationships without HIV living rent free uh, in your mind, something you might fear or acquiring HIV and the daily taking of tablets, I think, I don't know what is quite frankly. And so I think hope um, is strong and I think change is coming. That is a very hopeful message. I think that's a what a, what a, what a thing to be the first of if we can be the first country uh, in the world. And I think it, it's scientifically possible, and the will is there. It's just it's just getting getting through that, getting through the numbers of people, isn't it? And that's the key now. So, Richard, this has been a fantastic discussion, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for the time. And for anybody who's looking for any help or any assistance in this world, get over to the Terence Higgins Trust website because it is a fab resource with lots of things. Richard, thank, thank you very you, much. Adam. Happy Pride Month. Thank you. Thank you.